You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Gang, we're sick. We need to understand that. We need to realize that. We're the burdened and the heavy laden of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Do you know these things? Do you know this? Do you realize it? It's good to know that. The people who were readily received by the Lord, like this guy Nicodemus, were those that had the sense of need. They were the broken hearted with the sense of their inadequacy. So many people in the world feel that they need to prove to God how good they are, that as long as their good deeds outweigh the bad, they will find favor in God's eyes. But today, Pastor Mike reminds us that what God wants is the opposite. He wants us to humbly come to Him in our brokenness, readily acknowledging that we need His grace. Jesus said that it's the sick who are in need of a doctor, not the healthy. If we won't admit that we're sick, we will never be open to Jesus' healing work in our lives. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 6 as he continues his message, Enough is Enough. They came in one by one by one, and Samuel the prophet observed each one, and God would like kind of check them on, no, that's not the one. The next one was brought in, no, he's not the one. And until finally, you know, he turns to Jesse, David's father, he says, don't you have any more sons? And he says, yeah, I got this, you know, this young kid, and, you know, he's sort of like a philosopher, a poet, uh, a songwriter, and spends all of his days on the side of a mountain tending to my flocks and playing the harp and writing songs. And, but I don't think you'd be interested in this guy. He doesn't fit the bill. And then Samuel told him, oh, no, 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 summon for him because God had given me implicit instructions about it's going to be one of your sons, but it's none of these. And so anyway, in response to the conversation that he's having with Jesse, Notice he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. And, you know, isn't this funny? You know, this isn't in my notes, but I think it's worthwhile mentioning. You know, the way we size up people, particularly for those of us who are in ministry. And I found that the most faithful people that serve here at Harvest Christian Fellowship are the most likely candidates for the job. It's true. It really is. You know, we size up people on their appearance, their stature. You know, they look like, you know, muscle men or whatever. And, oh, let's put that guy over the men's ministry. You know, because people will look up to him. 
Yeah, he played football in college or whatever. You know, guys will look up to him. And it's not necessarily true. It's amazing the way that God chooses people, the way that God sees people. Anyway, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see. And this is really, this latter statement is really what I want to focus in on. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God knows if a man is a murderer, even if he's never committed a murder. Think about that. Because he knows what's in his heart, the murderer's intent that's there within that person's heart. You know, in Jesus' day, just to amplify this, the religious leaders thought that a person was contaminated by eating unclean foods. But then Jesus comes along and he teaches that it's not what goes in that contaminates an individual, but rather what proceeds out of an individual's heart. For example, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 15, in verses 17 through 20, do you not yet understand, and this is Jesus speaking, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth comes from the heart, and they defile a man. You know, so the heart, if you think about it, is really a window into the soul of a man. You know, you don't need to spend all that much time with an individual to figure out what that individual is really all about. Just listen to the words that he's using, the conversation. Just listen to this conversation, and you'll know what's really going on in his heart, the things that come out of their mouth, right? It's a window into a person's heart and soul. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they are the things which defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. And then verse 20, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man at all. So Jesus sets our thinking straight. So anyway, that's our first point. What is that? Sin is a internal manner. You got that? Sin is an internal matter. Now that brings us to our second point. There are three points. The second characteristic that I want to draw your attention to as it relates to sin. Verse 5, let's go back to Genesis 6. Verse 5 tells us that sin is pervasive. Sin is pervasive. Think about this. Because it comes out of the heart, that is sin, which controls what we think and do, it necessarily affects every part of our being. So that nothing we think, nothing that we do and plan for or are, you know, who we are, is unaffected. Why? Because it comes out of our heart. It is pervasive. Verse 5 says, Every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all of the time. You know, that would be a great definition of depravity. I mean, that's what depravity is. That's what depravity looks like. Not that people never do anything that's good or that they never have intentions of doing good. What I mean is that even their best is always spoiled 
by their essentially sinful nature. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, one of my favorite teachers, commentaries. Anything you can get your hands on by Donald Gray Barnhouse is certainly worthwhile having as an addition to your own personal library. But in his commentary on the book of Genesis, he draws our attention to, at this point, a thirsty patient. And in his commentary, he puts it this way in one of his writings. He imagines a thirsty person who is in a doctor's office, picking up a glass and going over to a water cooler containing sterilized water and filling the glass in order to take a drink. The glass begins to foam a bit. And so he asks the doctor if something has been in the glass. Yes, the doctor says, diphtheria solution. Our thirsty patient puts the glass down in a hurry. Why? Wasn't the water pure? Yes, the water was pure, but the glass was dirty. You see, everything that came into contact with the glass was contaminated. And thus, it is the same with the sin that comes out of the human heart. It contaminates everything. You see that? So, great example and illustration. It is the same with the sin that comes out of the human heart. It contaminates everything. Jeremiah put it this way in chapter 17 in verse 9 of his book. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Oh, be careful of your heart. You know, this whole idea of just follow your heart. How many times have you heard someone suggest that to us? Offer that up as an explanation or counsel. Yeah, you know what? Just follow your heart. Just go with what your heart is telling you to do. Oh, man. The Bible teaches otherwise. It tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. Be careful of what your heart is telling you. Because sin is bound up in the heart of mankind. In the book of Romans in chapter 3, as it is written, and by the way, this is a quotation from the, the book of Psalms, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of curses and bitterness. You feeling really good about yourself right now? <laughs> their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Listen, we need to realize what is within man. So how severe, how ugly, how destructive and pervasive sin is. Now, let's talk about Jesus. Remember, now Jesus, and it almost seems like to contradict itself, Jesus is the friend of sinners. What does that mean? Oh, he's the friend of sinners. You know, he just loves the sinner. You know, he just tolerates sinners. You know, that's not it at all. What did Jesus the friend of sinners say about sin, how pervasive sin is. 
the loving, gentle, compassionate friend of sinners. What does he think? What did he say? Well, just bear with me. I'm just going to run through a bunch of verses of Scripture and quotations. But let me tell you this. He doesn't mince words about the gravity of human sin. Okay, for example, addressing the leaders of Israel, who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, like, for example, the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus used certain descriptions and phrases to describe them. For example, he talked of man as salt who had lost its savor. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 13, he referred to sinners as a tree which is bound to produce bad fruit. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17. If you want, you can write these down and you can check them out for yourself during the week. He saw in man an unwillingness to respond to grace. And again, this goes back to our being free moral agents and the capacity to choose, right? Free will. But he saw in man an unwillingness to respond to grace. He said in John's gospel in chapter 5 and verse 40, you will not come. You have not the love of God in verse 42 of that same chapter in John 5. In verse 43 of John 5, he says, you receive me not. In verse 47, he says, you believe not. He says in John 7 and verse 19, he says, none of you keep the law. In John 8 and verse 38, he says, your father is the devil who is a murderer and a liar. How about that? Could you imagine you visit with Jesus and, he say, and you're looking like, you know, to be accepted by him and, and, and rather in turn he says, hey, Phinezio, your father is a, the devil. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. Could you imagine standing before the Lord and, and you think everything is like, you know, great and, and kosher and, you know, you're going to be accepted of the Lord and in turn he says, your father is of the devil. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Man, he blasted these Pharisees and these scribes. He laid them low. In Matthew 15 and verse 14, he says, you're like the blind leading the blind. He brought to the forefront their utter inability to please God. In John 3, 19, he says, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In John's gospel in chapter 3, he emphasized that it is essential for man to be saved by a mighty act of God if he is to be rescued from his condition of misery. Remember the conversation he had with Nicodemus, that very famous conversation that led to one of the most beloved verses of Scripture in all of the Bible, John 3.16. But let's back up a little bit and begin in John 3 in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, now he's addressing one of the Pharisees, Nicodemus. But let me tell you something. The difference between this guy and most of the Pharisees is that he really had a heart to want to serve God, and he was teachable. He was open. He was ready to recognize his sin. He understood that sin was so pervasive within him, and it was an internal thing. He knew all of these things. And so he comes to the Lord with the right attitude and motivation, the same way that we need to come to the Lord. And Jesus answered, Nicodemus, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then uh, in verse 5, Jesus in answer said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Skip to verse 7 if you can. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
And then let's just continue on. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? And he's given him this, this explanation, you know, why a person must be born again, how a person can secure his salvation and his eternal salvation. How? Simply, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus emphasized that it is essential for man to be saved by a mighty act of God if he is to be rescued from his condition of the misery of sin. You know, also in Matthew's gospel in chapter 9 and verse 12, Jesus said the sick are the people who need the physician. And that's why Jesus is referred to as the great physician. Gang, we're sick. We need to understand that. We need to realize that. We're the burdened and the heavy laden of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Do you know these things? Do you know this? Do you realize it? It's good to know that. The people who were readily received by the Lord, like this guy Nicodemus, were those that had the sense of need. They were the brokenhearted with the sense of their inadequacy. And so anyway, our second point, sin is pervasive. Now that brings us to our third and our final characteristic that I want to draw your attention to as it relates to sin, and that is sin is continuous. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is our third and last characteristic of sin that I want to draw your attention to. Sin is continuous. In God's judgment, we all do only evil all the time. Now, you know what? What a crazy statement to make. I mean, I would never make a statement like that. I would never, you know, say in front of other people concerning any individual, you know, that as God said, that, you know, Mike, he only does evil all of the time. What a statement. That's beyond belief. I mean, we wouldn't make this judgment upon anyone ourselves. But think about this. This is God speaking, who sees all things, who knows all things. He knows the heart. And whatever he says is truthful. Well, this is his infallible declaration. It's sort of like, think of it like in this way. It's like sin without an intermission. Sin without an intermission. And so could a blacker picture be painted? So man's depravity, his rebellion, that's who we are. That's who we were. Now, it's at this point, okay, so that's all the stuff that will bring you down and bum you out. But it's at this point now, the clouds, if I can use this picturesque language, it's as if the clouds roll back and the sun comes shining through because there's a promise of a new day dawning. What do we read in verse 8 of our text of Scripture? It says, Noah found grace. That is, Noah found favor with God. 
And I don't know if you knew this or not, but this is the first appearance of this idea in the Bible where it is explicitly mentioned. That is, he found grace or he found favor with God. So this is significant. Why is it so significant? Because it is declared in a time where evil and sin abounded, was at its zenith, if you will. So therefore we conclude, so long as life lasts, regardless of the extent of evil, there's always an opportunity to find God's grace. How? Through the person of Jesus Christ. So where are you right now in your experience with him? You know, are you going through the motions? Are you just goofing around, playing around? Are you the real deal? You know, if you claim to have taken the name of Christ, you know, are you on the straight and the narrow or have you deviated off of that path? Maybe at one time you were on it, but somehow you got sidetracked, you took a detour and now you're lost, you know. And now really you're just basically going through the, the motions. Well, here's the good news. In spite of whatever you've allowed to come into your life, right? You might be at the zenith of sin, right? It may be abounding within you, but so long as life lasts, regardless of the extent of evil, how far you've gone, there's always an opportunity to find God's grace through the person of Jesus Christ, even as Noah found it. And we're going to get to Noah. By the way, Noah is really an interesting character study. I'm really looking forward to sharing everything that I know about Noah with you in one of our future studies. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but that ark is a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And you knew that. Okay. You guys are good. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're going to talk about that, how that ark that Noah built was a picture of Jesus Christ. Sort of like that lifesaver acknowledging and recognize that we're drowning, if you will. So I want you to also notice, as it relates to this announcement concerning Noah, that he found grace. He didn't earn it. It doesn't say Noah earned grace. It says that Noah found grace. How did he find grace? The same way that any of us find grace. He was willing to accept God's judgment on his sinful nature and place his hope in God's provision, right, which was the ark, which is a type of Jesus Christ. That was his Savior, even as we look to our Savior. That's the provision that God has made for us. That's how we get hold of the grace of God. Folks, it's the same today. We have no claim upon God. We have not earned anything but his wrath, truth be told and our eventual destruction. But praise God, we can find God's grace. How? In Jesus Christ. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long when something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcast. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house. <laughs>